guys, this is Haley, and you're listening to Kindled Podcast. This episode is sponsored by H. Williams Creative, my graphic and web design business. Today, I'm excited to bring you an interview with Joel Webin of Right Response Ministries. Joel and I are talking about the church. Before I get to that interview, I want to tell you about our Kindled Patreon community. This is brand new for me, and I'm so excited about what we're doing here. Every single Friday, I am releasing additional exclusive episodes that will be heard only by Patreon subscribers. They are shorter than these regular one-hour episodes. They will be around 15 to 20 minutes, and they're called fire starters. They're going to be on relevant topics, be it faith, cultural, social, political, and it's just me and the mic. Once in a while, I may put some clips in there that get cut from the main episodes because sometimes guests and I get off track, but it's just too good not to share. This is going to be an amazing place to get more from Kindled if you are already loving this podcast. And I will say, especially if you like the Christianity and culture episodes, because that's basically what Firestarters episodes will always be about. That's what I personally am interested and passionate in talking about. And so that's what you're going to hear there. You can sign up for $10 a month at patreon.com slash Kindled podcast, and I will see you inside. Well, today on Kindled, I am chatting with Pastor Joel Webin. Joel, thanks for being here today. Happy to be here. Thanks for having me. So um, I would love for you, before we get into the topic, to just introduce yourself to listeners and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do. Okay. Um, I am married to my wife, Megan. We have three children. Our third is on the way. Um, Olive and Ruth and Eleanor. So Ollie, Ruthie, Ellie. Ellie in the belly, so Mama's going right now. So she's due in December. We um, are in San Diego, California, pastor church called the Response Church. And uh, we're actually transitioning right now. Toward the end of this year, we're going to be moving um, to Hutto, Texas, to plant a new church. Uh, just finally kind of got to the point. And this is kind of part of what me and Haley are going to be talking about today. But I uh, mm-hmm. got to the point where I just didn't want to live in California any longer. I don't want to raise mm-hmm. my, my children here. So um Currently pastoring the Response Church, uh, by God's grace, endeavoring uh, soon to plant a new church in Texas. And also I am the president of a ministry called Right Response Ministries, uh, which you can follow by subscribing to our YouTube channel, Right Response Ministries, or downloading our free app, or go to our website, rightresponseministries.com, and find all of the content that we uh, put out on a regular basis. Awesome. Yeah. So you have three girls then. Is that what you said? Yeah. Okay. Same here. We have three girls, except my youngest is 10 months now. So it's fun. Yeah. Very fun. Lots of, lots of emotions all the time, but you know, that's all right. (laughs) My husband's outnumbered, but you know what? He says he prefers it. He's like, you know, I I love having girls. I I wouldn't want a boy. And I'm just like, I don't know. Are you sure about that? I feel like we could use some balance. (laughs) I like having the girls. It'd be great to have some boys, but having a bunch of girls, I feel like for a father is a good retirement plan. Boys, (laughs) like when I'm old and gray, the boys aren't going to take care of me. Yeah, that's true. Daughters will. They tend to be more nurturing and compassionate. Right. That's true. And I will benefit from that, you know, just indirectly. Of course, they won't be taking care of me, just him. Maybe (laughs) maybe they'll let me hang out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so let's get into this, this topic of the church from a biblical worldview, from according to scripture, what is the church and what, what should it be? And what, what does it actually look like in the Bible? Yeah. Great question. Thanks. Um, So I think part of the problem is this. uh, Christians are struggling I don't know any Christian that I'm encountering that won't say church is essential. Um, 
but but then when, when you press on that a little bit deeper, trying to get into some of the specifics, well, what does it mean for church to be essential? Because if it's essential, we should be gathering. Uh, but the problem is that people, well, church is essential, but it's not all Sunday morning, Joel. Um, mm-hmm. But I would argue that although it's not all Sunday morning, that is a big part of what the church is. And so the language that I've been using with my congregants and with Right Response Ministries and the church at large and those, those people that um, I've been privileged by God to be able to influence, um, the language I'm using is that the church is essential precisely because it's unique. I think that's what Christians have missed. Um, I think they're, they're struggling to see how church is essential because they struggle to see how church is unique. And what I mean by that is they struggle to see how church is unique. What happens on the Lord's Day when the saints gather together, they struggle to see how that is in any way unique from the private practices of piety that Christians should be diligent to perform all week long. Right? So what is happening? I mean, this is, I think, what Christians would say. Maybe they, they're, they're too nervous to, you know, to just outright say it, but I think what they're thinking in their minds is, well, Joel, what, what, what am I going to get? What benefit do I get if I go and gather with the church on Sunday morning that I can't get? by just doing a Google search with Desiring God, pulling up a John Piper sermon. Who I love John Piper, you know, and, and listening to that and then reading, you know, three chapters in, my, in the Word. And then with my family, we can get together and sing hymns. And we can even invite, you know, a couple friends, you know, and have our quarantine pod. And, and so it's not even just our family. We've got a couple other families. We're singing some hymns. We're doing this, uh, singing some hymns. And we're taking the Lord's Supper together, which I would say biblically you should not be. You're not authorized to administer the supper in that context. Um, but it, we, the problem is we, don't, we haven't been taught properly ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church. And so we have a lot of people, I don't think it's rebellion per se. And, and I do think there is a lot of cowardice. And that's what I was saying earlier and you're saying, uh, but I think some of it is just, just ignorance. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there is some cowardice where people, they know what's right and they're giving into the fear of man. I think that pertains to pastors and leaders in the church. I think leaders in the church are capitulating and giving in to cowardice, the fear of man, uh, because they, they're not fearing God. Uh, but I think a lot of followers, a lot of those, those congregants in the church, church members, uh, just your, your, your average Christian, I don't think it's necessarily uh, this, this compromise and fear of man and cowardice. I think for many of them, um, in their defense, in the, in the average Christian's defense, I think it's ignorance. I think they just they don't feel like they're compromising anything because they don't feel like there's anything that happens on the Lord's day in the setting of the church that, that they can't faithfully practice right. in, in some other context. Um, you, uh, let me pause for a second. Do you have any thoughts on that, Haley? Um, I, I've got, I, yeah. I can get real specific. What is different? What is unique about the Lord's day in the church? But I, I don't want to go too long. Go ahead. Oh, you're, yeah, I think you're fine. Just keep going. It's great. Okay. So I wrote this. Um, let, let me, uh, I said, allow me to be abundantly clear. I firmly believe with every fiber of my being uh, that the church, and that is not merely individual believers themselves, but the gathered assembly. So the word church comes from the word ecclesia, which means an assembly or a gathering. So when I say the church, I do mean the people, right? The church is not the steeple. It's the people. <laughs> you remember that? You, I can't do the hand thing, but you go like right. this and people in there. So it's not just the steeple. It is the people. And I think we've been taught that, right? We've been taught the church is in the building. It's not a building. It's not a building. That's true. But the church, although it's not a building, our church doesn't have a building right now. We're meeting outside. But the church, although it's not a building, it is most certainly a gathering. Now, that gathering can happen in the building or out of a building. 
It can happen on a beach. It can happen in a park. It can happen in the backyard. Uh, the church is not a building. It's the people. That's what we know. It's not a building. It's the people. What I want to say is from the scripture, it's a little bit more than that. It's not a building. It's the people, but it's also the people when they gather, when they gather. So the church is individual believers adopted by the Spirit through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ all week long, right? Church gathered, church scattered. So you and I are still the church. If we, if we are regenerate, born again through faith in Jesus Christ, adopted by the Spirit, God the Father, no longer the judge, but now the beloved Father, we are his children, then you and I, Haley, we are the church right now as we're doing a podcast. So there is a sense in which the people are the church, uh, but the church is also, it's not just the people all week long, wherever they happen to be in the scattered context, but it is uniquely, and we might say especially the church. The church becomes in an even greater sense the church on the Lord's day when it gathers together because the word ecclesia literally means an assembly. It means mm-hmm. a gathering. So I firmly believe with every fiber of my being that the church, that is not merely individual believers themselves, but the gathered assembly of these believers on the Lord's day for the ministering of the ordinary means of grace, that is preaching the word, praying the word, singing the word, S-I-N-G, singing the word, and seeing the word, S-E-E, seeing the word in the only two images that the Bible prescribes for us, which is the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism. In the Lord's Supper and in baptism, we see Christ as it were, in a sense. We see Christ. So we're seeing the word in the sacraments, we're singing the word, we're praying the word, and we're preaching the word. That's the the ordinary means of grace. And so when the saints gather together on the Lord's day to administer properly the ordinary means of grace, that is the ecclesia, the, the, the gathering, the assembling of the church. And I'm arguing that that is essential precisely because that is unique. What occurs in that context does not occur in your quiet time. Right. And it doesn't occur in your quiet time, even if you do a group quiet time with a group chat and invite your other you know, friends and we're all doing it together. That has its place in the Christian life. And I would say, not only is it permissible, it is beneficial. If some women get together at 6 a.m. before their kids wake up and they're praying for each other and, and reading the Bible together with a, you know, a chat, my wife does that once a week. They call it mom's prayer. And it's awesome. And I, I love that my wife does that. It's not just permissible. Right. Uh, it's beneficial. It's better than permissible, but it's not church. And there's mm-hmm. something that you, unique that happens in church that does not happen in your quiet time individually, privately. It also doesn't happen when you gather with other women. It doesn't happen when you gather with your husband and your kids, with the family. Um, it, it doesn't happen in any of those contexts. And that's the doctrine, ecclesiology, uh, that, that I think Christians have not been taught. And so we don't under. And, um, and so I think that's why we're so quick. I don't think it was just fear. Fear on the part of pastors, yes, right. uh, leaders. But for the average Christian, I don't think it was fear so much that caused them to so quickly let go of church on Sunday morning gathering together. I think it was ignorance. They did not know. Yeah, that makes so much sense because I, I think that you're right. Most people just don't know that church is special or unique or different. They kind of think... Perhaps it is merely just a place to be taught and to receive teaching. Um, and if that's true, then we can get that on a podcast and save ourselves some time. And, you know, we don't have to really make as big of a sacrifice 
if it is just a place to be, you know, um, on an emotional high, well, I can blast worship music in my car with the windows down and I can achieve the same effect. So I think you're right that that has um, the, the idea of what church really is about, what it really does in the life of a believer is just really something that I think many of us have not been taught. So then what does make church this gathering of believers as you're talking about what what makes it unique context according to scripture when true churches that is orthodox churches that faithfully proclaim the gospel and the law law and gospel the scripture when they gather together on the lord's day and rightly administer the ordinary means of grace preaching the word praying the word singing the word seeing the word when this happens christ himself according to revelation chapter one begins to walk among the lampstands. And Christians might object at this point and say, well, that's just the seven churches in Revelation 1, 2, and 3. Um, that's unique to those churches. Know that this is, I believe this is a description, and many other solid um, scholar, biblical scholars and theologians would agree, this is a description of the church, period. Any local church that is a true church, that is a church with orthodox doctrine, and a church that is rightly preaching the word, and as Calvin would argue, rightly administering the sacraments, wherever a true church exists, that that church, not just the seven listed, like the Church of Philadelphia and Laodicea, not just the seven in Revelation, but any true local church is a lampstand. And wherever a lampstand can be found, and when it is lit, that is, when the churches gather on the Lord's Day, Mm -hmm. according to Scripture, Christ himself begins to walk amidst the lampstand. And mm-hmm. as Christ is present with that local church, he holds the angel of the church. There are angels mentioned in the Revelation of these churches in his right hand. Should be my right hand. This is my left. In his right hand, he holds those angels, and those angels begin to preach. So the argument is, well, what are the angels? Well, most of the, the theologians that I would trust would say that the angels are actually the gospel ministers, the pastors of those churches who have been tasked with the faithful proclamation of God's word. And as this gospel minister, the angel begins to preach, open their mouth and preach the word on the Lord's day while being held in Christ's right hand. Revelation 1 continues to say that something begins to proceed, not just from the mouth of the gospel minister, but from Christ himself, namely a double-edged sword, the word. This is all Revelation chapter 1, verse 10 through 16. Now, landing the plane here, some Christians would say, I don't know. I, you know, I disagree with your eschatology. I don't know about Revelation. That seems a bit obscure. Revelation is a difficult book. Who's to say that's a proper interpretation? So, so allow me to use something maybe a little bit more palatable for Christians. This is Matthew chapter 18, verse 17 through 20. Here we find another biblical text, which illustrates both the essential and unique nature of the church. If, this is Matthew 18, 17 through 20, if he refuses to listen to them, that is the two or three witnesses who have now confronted this impenitent sinner, refusing to repent, then the next step is tell it to the church. And that means the actual assembly of the saints, the believers, not just the church, a.k.a. the elders of the church or the pastor of the church or the presbyterian of the church, Hmm. the saints, the Christians. And if he, that is the impenitent sinner, brought under church discipline, if he refuses to listen to the final highest ecclesiological court, which would be the congregation, not the elders, but the congregation, if he refuses to listen to the church, 
then let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, remove him, treat him as an outsider. And then Jesus continues, he says, truly, I say to you, whatever you, that is the gathered assembly of the saints, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So there's an earthly power. We're doing something on earth when Christ is present and we're gathered together. The church is doing something on earth and something is happening in the heavens. There is a spiritual heavenly reality. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you, and this is what we always misinterpret, if two of you agree on earth about anything that they ask in my name, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. But wherever two or three are gathered, that's, it's talking about the church, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, a.k.a. a true church that professes Christ as Savior and Lord, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am, there Christ is among them. So Revelation 1, the lampstand is the church. Wherever the lampstand is lit, that is the church is gathered, Christ is present. Well, if you don't like that language, Matthew 18, 17 through 20, where the, wherever two or three are gathered in Christ's name, there I am among them. This is not talking about two or three people in the hallway of their dorm at their Christian college with a djembe and a guitar singing Kumbaya and Jesus is present in a powerful way. No, this is talking, it's, it's authoritative language. It's political language. It's talking about the church as an authority, as a, a court of, of ecclesiastical authority. Whenever the church gathers together, so the two or three, all that's saying is that technically, technically, according to Christ, in order to have a biblical church, you only mess, uh, have to have a minimum of two people. Mm, yeah. Now, I think it'd be better if a church has more people than two. Right. Uh, we can argue about what size of a church is best, 5,000 or 500 or 50 or two. But according sure. to Christ, all that's necessary is two people who've been baptized into the name of the triune God who are committed to obeying all Christ's commands and teaching others to do likewise, who have made a credible profession that Jesus is Savior and Lord and are committed to gathering together on the Lord's day and administering the, the ordinary means of grace. One of them is preaching, and that person needs to be qualified to do so. They need to be able to teach according to God's requirements in First Timothy 3 for elders. So somebody's preaching, somebody's praying, they're both singing, and they're both administering the Lord's Supper. And if they have any new converts, as they seek to make disciples of all nations, they're baptizing them. So technically, you could have two people, and it'd be a church. If it's a biblical church, it won't be two people for long. It should be growing. People should be coming right. to faith. But Jesus, he's not saying wherever two or three people sing Kumbaya and, mm -hmm. and you know, do a kind of a, 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 a inner healing prayer session, you know, mm -hmm. sozo prayer session, there Jesus, no. He's saying two or three people gathered in my name under these circumstances. Because what's the context? He just got done talking about making, rendering a righteous judgment in the congregation, the church, being the highest court that makes that decision. He just got done talking about church discipline. So he's not talking about church discipline and then talking about kumbaya. It's, right. we, we've got to have consistent hermeneutics in the way that we read scripture. So he's been talking about church discipline, a.k.a. the church, and he's still talking about the church. So wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I am present. There I am among them. So according to Jesus, two or three baptized believers who have made a public and credible profession of faith and have covenanted with one another to fulfilling the Great Commission in unity, which includes following all of Christ's commands and teaching others to do likewise, that constitutes, in the mind of Christ, 
a true church. And when true churches gather in Jesus' name, according to Jesus, there I am among them. In other words, Christ, and this is what Christians have to get, Christ who is always present with all believers by virtue of the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit is present in a unique way only in the context of the gathered church. And as he is present, when two or three gather in my name, which is, this is not just two or three Christians doing a live chat, like what we're doing right now. No, this is, this is a church. It just happens to be a small church of two or three people, but it is a church. Wherever the church gathers, Christ who is always present with each individual believer, even if they're on a deserted island all by themselves, Christ who is always present by virtue of the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, Christ is now present when the church gathers in a unique way. And something, according to Revelation 1, begins to proceed from his mouth. And something, according to Matthew 18, begins to happen in the heavens. Things are being loosed. Things are being bound. Something is happening. And for the entire nation of America, virtually all, I know some churches, God bless them, kept gathering. But, but at a very large degree, for, for our entire nation to be churchless. And see, that's what Christians, they would, they, they would object at that point. They would say, no, no, the church is not the steeple, it's the, the people. And, and the people were still there during the lockdowns, and we were still praying and reading our Bibles and mm-hmm. doing, like, yes, the church is the people. It's not a building, it's the people. But there but wasn't it's, a gathering. It's a gathering. And so right. we, were, we were absent as an entire nation, virtually absent of a church. There was no church in, in, the, in the highest sense of the word church for months nationwide. And then we wonder why people are losing their minds and cities are on, on fire. And, yeah, and, and yeah. Christians giving that up, again, I don't think it was cowardice for many Christians. I think it was cowardice right. for pastors. But for Christians, I think it was ignorance because their pastors yeah. did not teach them what the church actually is. And that's, last thing I'll say is that's why I'm so grateful to you, Haley, for doing a series like this and giving me the opportunity to talk about what is the church. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. I mean, you just walked us through like a seminary class, I feel like on, on ecclesiology. And uh, I, I mean, a lot of that, I, I, I don't know. I have never heard that, never learned that. So like you said, there is a level of ignorance around these topics where I think there's, you know, I will say, I think that even where there's ignorance, there is, there is still an instinct in many believers and a gut reality, a gut knowing, because if you are truly Christ, if he is in you, if you have the Holy Spirit, I think there's a conviction, honestly, when you're not meeting, it's the same thing as like when you consistently choose to not go to church on Sunday, say it's a summer and you've got the lake one week and you've got something else the next week. It's like, you start to feel bad and not just like I a shame, but like, I, I actually, something's wrong here. And I actually want to be in church. I want to, I, there's this desire to be with the body. And I started to feel this. We, we were, you know, like everybody else doing the church from the living room with the kids dancing to the music on, you know, in the living room. It was, it was cute at first. I was like, Oh, this is, you know, I mean, I even shed a few tears. Like this is so sad, but also so sweet that we have this, this time as a family. And for the first month we were all in, we were watching it on Sunday morning and like, but after a month I started to like the newness, the novelty of that started to wear off. And I started to be like, 
this just isn't enough. This isn't it. Like something feels like it's not right. It's not totally there. And that's because it wasn't. And, and like you're like, it's everything that you just described. It's the reality that what the church is, is more than just live streaming a service from a building, you know, somewhere that other people are gathered. And, and it's just, it's not, it wasn't, it wasn't it. And so I think, yes, ignorance, but also I think that a lot of us feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit in that like we want to be gathered. And there's so many people at my former church that was not meeting for a long time who I know have felt that and have, have, you know, been saying, posting all kinds of images of things saying like, wake up, oh church, wake up. Like you've got to wake up and enter the battle and kind of come back to life in a sense. And, and I'm not saying these people weren't working hard to make things happen or whatever, but there is just something as you've described very clearly um, about Christ's presence and the way that he moves and is, is active. And the, the, that transaction between it's like the, the lower story and the upper story, there is something transactional that is happening in that gathering that is supernatural. That is a really, um, I mean, I'm really grateful for that, but it's also like, because I don't understand it, I think it can be hard to, to describe, you know, what does that mean? What does that not mean? Is God not going to act if I don't go to church? You know, it's a, there's a lot there that I feel like people don't understand. And so maybe that is potentially where they're confused about. Um, What would you say to that? Yeah. The Puritans used to call the gathering, the assembly of the saints on the Lord's day, the marketplace for the soul. And, uh, and what they were, Saying with that, John Bunyan being, you know, he was Baptist, but we could maybe put him in the Puritan category. John Bunyan, he wrote um, A Pilgrim's Progress, and there's a portion of A Pilgrim's Progress where he talks about the delectable mountains. And the delectable mountains, when Christian, the protagonist of the book, when he arrives at the delectable mountains, there are shepherds there. And the shepherds represent uh, ministers of the gospel. They represent pastors. And so um, Christian is being shepherded he's being ministered to by these shepherds but on this particular mountain the delectable mountains not only are the shepherds present feeding him caring for him nourishing him but you also it's it's the only place in all of christian's journey it's the only strategic place where from the delectable mountains christian can just make out a glimpse of the celestial city and what, what Bunyan was getting at and what the Puritans would agree with Bunyan on this point is that on the Lord's Day when the church gathers together and when the ordinary means of grace are administered, preaching the word, praying the word, seeing the word, mm-hmm. and seeing the word, when this happens, the people of God, we, we gain a glimpse of heaven. We're yeah. caught up into heaven. Right. We're seated with him in heavenly places. And there's a, there's a continual reality to that for the Christian. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but we are, in a greater uh, sense, spiritually, we are raised up. We're, we're, the, the, the weary pilgrim is, is exalted on the Lord's day when we gather with the saints for the ordinary means of grace. He's exalted. He's, he's picked up, as it were, by Christ and placed with him above the fray, above mm-hmm. the dreariness and, and the difficulty and the challenges and the persecution, all these things above the suffering and, and he's on this, this mountain, the, the delectable mountains, he's fed and nourished by, by the shepherds. He can make out and remember and see a glimpse of the celestial city in which he is going, in which he can, he can rest mm-hmm. assured he will one day enter. And it's also this marketplace for the soul where there, it's like he comes with his grocery bags or his basket 
and all kinds of choice meats and vegetables and fruits and wine. All of this is being placed in his basket to last him all week long. And that's not meant to say that Monday through Saturday now, he doesn't spend any time in prayer. Right. Right? Because the Apostle Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. It doesn't mean he's going to spend no time. You know, he's not going to spend any time in, in, in Scripture study. But what it means is on the Lord's Day, what we're, we're being equipped with tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's like you're getting your, you know, you could say tools, and then all week long we're building. Or, or go back to the marketplace of the soul analogy. It's, it's ingredients, and then all week long we're cooking. So all, all week long we're cooking up meals and serving it and eating it, mm-hmm. um, but, but we're, we're only grocery shopping once a week. We're mm-hmm. going to the grocery store, the marketplace of the soul, and that's what the church is. And I think a lot of Christians will say, well, if that's what it is, then, man, I feel like the marketplace of the soul is, is Ligonier. Right, the marketplace of the soul is you know Haley's podcast. Man, I get all kinds of choice, mm-hmm. but you don't. Uh, yes, you're learning principles, you're gaining tools, mm-hmm. theological tools, and perspectives, and teaching and equipping. Um, it's but not the, a replacement. It's not a replacement, and there's yeah. something. It's not just. It's not just the 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 facts, the objective facts of. Right. I heard a sermon at mm-hmm. my church on Sunday morning when I was physically present. And I heard a sermon on Tuesday in my commute on the way home from work from John Piper on the Desiring God app. And in both, I was equipped with theological truth. Yes, yes. But there's something about, about the context of the Lord's Day and the saints gathered together where we are stirring one another up to love and good works, even in our singing. My mm-hmm. Ephesians tells us very plainly, we're not just singing vertically to God, addressing God, praising God. But we're also, there's a horizontal element where we're addressing one another with spiritual songs and hymns and psalms and stirring one another up to love and good works. And this stirring up of one another to love and good works is, as we continue looking at Hebrews, I think that's Hebrews 10, 24, it happens in the context, it's right before Hebrews 10, 25, it says, do not forsake the gathering. Mm -hmm. So right, if we back up just a little bit before, it talks about stirring one another up. And so we're stirring one another up, and, and then it says, don't forsake the gathering. Is that random? No. It's mm-hmm. keep the same context. Don't forsake the gathering, because the gathering is precisely the context where we stir one another up. And then if we cross-reference from that, Hebrews 10 over to Hebrews 3, forget the verse, but in Hebrews 3, we see that, that in the context of the gathering is where we stir one another up. That's Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And in Hebrews 3, we find that by stirring one another up, this is how... God sustains us. God preserves his people so that we do not fall away. Mm-hmm. Be careful, brothers, it says, lest there be found in any of you an unbelieving and evil heart that would cause you to fall away from the living God. So we need to be actively careful that, that there would not be found in us unbelief, an evil mm-hmm. and unbelieving heart. And, and what do we do to avoid that evil, unbelieving heart? Well, we stir one another up. And what's the context? Where do we stir one another up? Back to mm-hmm. Hebrews 10, 25, in the gathering. That's why we don't forsake the gathering, because this is precisely the context. That your, 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 your app, your podcast, your, even your family and your kids, you know, doing hand motions to, to worship songs, as beautiful as all that is and as beneficial as all that is, that is not the context in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the greatest sense where we stir one another up to loving good works. And stirring one another mm-hmm. up to loving good works is precisely what keeps us from, from, from being found to have an unbelieving 
an evil heart that would cause us to fall away. So the way that, my point is to say this, the way that God, we could argue, biblically, the way that God preserves his people, their soul, their spiritual vitality, is through the context of the church. And that's why when I heard all these pastors saying, love your neighbor, love your neighbor, right? Because what, what were they saying? They were saying that by not gathering, we can preserve our neighbor, namely mm-hmm. his body, his right. health. But, but, but according to Scripture, by not gathering, we, we are not able to preserve our neighbor and, and his soul. Mm-hmm. So, so by, by forsaking the gathering, which we're seeking to preserve the body and loving our neighbor. But by forsaking the gathering, we're also neglecting to preserve the soul because we're neglecting the chief context where we stir one another up, which is the way that God preserves us so that we don't fall away. And so at the end of the day, I think that had to, that needed to be weighed. We need to have, pastors need to have one eye on their Bible, which is unchanging, but then one eye on the virus and the data, which mm-hmm. is ever-changing. And we needed to, to look and say, all right, what is the greater threat? Right? Yeah. To, to miss the first couple of weeks because, because we didn't know anything and we were told that everyone's going to die, well, sure, our church missed the first couple of weeks because as far as we knew, if we gathered, the whole world was going to immediately explode and everyone would die. I mean, that's, that's how it yeah. was presented. So, yeah, we, we missed our gathering. But as soon as we were able to see, as soon as more data rolled in and we were able to see, oh, well, just by us simply encouraging some of our elderly members to stay home, mm-hmm. by us keeping six-foot distancing, and we'll, we'll do you one better, Gavin Newsom. We'll go ahead and do 12-foot distancing. And by mm-hmm. meeting outside with the open air instead of inside, and by us using gloves and masks to administer the Lord's Supper, and all these different things, we realized, well, we can make our church, not acid, but literally, objectively, scientifically safer than going mm-hmm. to the church. Right. And we did. And so as soon as we realized that, we realized, oh, it's like 0.00%, right? It's like, well, that's not true. It's like 0.6 to 0.9%. Yeah, but that's without social distancing. That's without masks. That's with the elderly being added. If we're mm-hmm. encouraging the elderly to stay home, all, like now at this point, we're we're below we're below the statistics yeah. for the flu. It's yeah. safe for the flu now. If we put in these, and all that is just changing the circumstances of our worship, while while keeping the elements of our worship, the ordinary means of grace. So by doing that, it took us a couple of weeks to figure it out. Yeah. But, but once we were able to see, okay, this is not nearly as dangerous as people are saying. We can mitigate the risk to where now the risk to the body is is like down here. Mm-hmm. And, and and here's the deal though. But with each Lord's day that passes and we're not gathering, the risk to the soul keeps bumping up. And that's what we were able to see, the elders and I, it wasn't all of our elders. One of our elders, he, he passionately disagreed. And so we have five elders, and so he, he was wrong on this issue. The other four, uh, fortunately, by God's grace, had, had the right view. We outvoted him. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of come around since then. But, but the point is to say that, that what we were able to see, four out of five of our elders, we were able to detect um, with each week that passes by and we don't gather, the risk and the threat to the soul increases. And as weeks went by, we kept seeing the data with the virus keeps coming back lower and lower and lower. Yeah. So if data for the virus is going down, we saw, oh, it actually turns out it's less of a risk to the body. And then a week ago, oh, it's actually even less of a risk. Oh, it's actually even less deadly. Than oh, it's, so each week that went by and we're missing the gathering, we're like, the risk of the soul keeps increasing. And the data keeps coming in low. Mm-hmm. So the risk to the body is decreasing. And so basically it was like this. We were told, from day one, here's the risk to the body, virus. Yeah, here's the risk to the soul, point. because you haven't missed a single Sunday in years, Joel, because you guys have been faithful to gather every Lord's Day. Mm-hmm. So it's like one Sunday? Sure, we'll miss one Sunday. But once it became two, three, four, yeah, and, and I think it was only four that we missed, and then we're like, that's it. We've missed mm-hmm. a month of church. And that's a big deal if we have a biblical view of church. 
And in one month, that was enough time for us to get through that, that spike, what was supposed to be the spike, that uh, April 12th through the 15th timeline. And when, when our healthcare professionals in our church were being laid off of work during the spike. Yeah. There's, there's, there's some other red flags around there. We were done. We were like, yeah. forget that. We're going to church. Yeah. Yeah, man. That's, I, I think it's hard to deny. I know there are people who would still continue to deny that that's, that's the full picture, but I mean, just the way you laid it out, I, I hope that people see that clearly. I hope that that is, um, you know, encouraging to them. Would you say that this has been a good thing for the church though, overall? Like, would you say, what would you say about how, how this has all played out on the, on the bigger picture? You know, obviously we, we agree. It's not good that churches were shut down, but would you say that all of these trials, in a sense, have been a good thing or a refining thing for the church? Hey guys, I have to interrupt this episode real quick to let you know who is bringing this episode to you today. And that is me. Not just me as the host, but my business, H. Williams Creative. This podcast is my passion, but did you know I am also a web and graphic designer? I specialize in helping female entrepreneurs make their brand and website show up as awesome online as they are in person. Whether you need a new logo, graphic design pieces, some collateral, a business card, or an entirely new website, I can help. You can reach out directly by emailing me at Haley at hwilliamscreative.com, H-A-L-E-Y at hwilliamscreative.com. Or you can check out my work at my website, hwilliamscreative.com. And if you mention Kindled Podcast, you'll get 10% off any branding package, website quote, or any other proposal that I provide you with. Can't wait to connect. Now back to this episode. That's a great question. So um, in, in the clearest sense, I, uh, yes, absolutely. Um, if for no other reason, because Romans 8 tells us, uh, that God is working all things for the good of those who love him. So has it been a good thing for the church? Um, I, I know what you mean by that, Haley, is the, the church, a.k.a. the true church. Right, those the true church. Yeah. Has it been a good thing for um, for Stephen Furtick? Probably not. Has it been a good thing for you know large mega churches that are false churches? I mean, John MacArthur's church is a large church, but they're a true, good, wonderful church. Mm-hmm. So I'm not against just, you know, just against large churches. Um, sure. There are challenges there, but, but there's a lot of large mega churches that are false churches. That like the whole appeal is fog machines and flashing lights and this experience. Yeah. So I think to answer your question, yes. Has it been good for the church? Well, scripture tells us Romans 8, God is working all things, even things like this, in his providence and sovereignty for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose, a.k.a. the people of God, a.k.a. The church, and so in that sense, it has been good for the church. I think the reason why it looks like a mixed bag is because through compromise and through idolatry and unbelief over previous decades, a lot of leaven, I think is the word Jesus would use, a lot of leaven has been mixed into the loaf that is the American evangelical church. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I think in some ways it's like, man, I don't know if this has been good for the church. So I see a lot of churches closing. No, I don't know if it's been good for the church. I see a lot of division in the church right now. People are talking about leaving their church that they were a part of for a very long time. Um, I think it is good for the church. It, it may not look good in the short run right now on the mm-hmm. surface, but I think a lot of the musical chairs that we're seeing with people leaving churches and, and, and 
I mean, we've had a lot of people come and join our church, uh, and we had people leave, both. So we had some people leave, and we're having some people join, because people are joining, they're like, our pastors won't even meet. And I'm, and I'm listening to you on social media talk about these things, and I'm like, gosh, I'd love to be a part of a church and have a pastor who has a spine. Mm-hmm. I'd love to have a pastor who has courage. Yeah, I think I'll go check out Joel's church. You know, and I'm not the only, I'm not the most courageous pastor by any stretch. I'm not being sued by the state like John MacArthur. That guy has a spine. That guy is phenomenal. Um, but, but my point is just to say that I think it, it looks messy right now because we've got the musical chair thing happening. People are switching seats. Yeah. Um, those who truly belong to Christ, who are the true church, according to scripture, it has to be good for them because everything God works for their good. And I think when the dust final, finally settles, it'll feel like there's fewer of us. Mm-hmm. But I think we'll be stronger than ever. It'll be that remnant. It'll be that yeah. um, those those people who it, it, I think Christ is purifying His church. I, yeah. I think pruning mm-hmm. season. He's and He's He's getting rid of the chaff. And He's mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think Christ is purifying His church. And I think the church is mm-hmm. going to be better and stronger and more radiant. His bride is going to be more mm-hmm. beautiful than ever before. Uh, we've just had a lot of dead weight. And, and right. why? Because if I could say this in a word, we've had a lot of dead weight because it's just been too dang easy to be a Christian in America. Yes, that's so true. Wow. Yeah, that's exactly it. It has been too easy. There's been no, uh, there's been no religious persecution really to speak of. And, and this I know is nothing compared to what the church in China or so many other countries have been dealing with for thousands of years. And yet, uh, you know, at the, at the slightest hint of religious persecution, your ears perk up and you sort of start to come awake and you're like, Oh wait, hold on. Um, is our great experiment failing? Like, okay, I'm waking up. And, and like you said, the true church will abide in the vine. They will hang on. They will, they will remain close. They will continue on meeting and everyone else is going to be like, Oh yeah, sorry. Oh my gosh. Oh, how dare we, you know? And then sure. We'll stay home. We better do that. Yes. Stay home, stay safe. Church, not only will abide and hang on. That's such good language. John 15, the bunch. Not, but not only will it persevere because God will preserve it, not only will it hang on and sustain, but the true church according to Christ, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I'm sure you've heard this, Haley, the gates of hell, that's, that's, um, that's a wall. That's a, that's a, a, a defense. So when, when Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail, notice he doesn't say the weapons, the offensive weapons of hell, hell will not prevail, a.k.a. the church is on the defense. And, and the offensive attacks of hell will not be successful. But mm-hmm. Jesus reverses the imagery. He says, I will build my, my church, and, and the defense of hell will not prevail, implying what? That the church is on the attack. And wow. so not only will the church abide in the vine, but I believe that through this pruning that the Lord is providentially doing in, in 2020, um, the church, I think, will rise up and cast off the 11th commandment, thou shalt be nice. And, and, and take off the sweater vest and the Mr. Rogers, would you be my neighbor routine and actually for the first time, potentially in decades, show the world mm-hmm. the, the, that the church is, is a force to be reckoned with. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is, has as its head, none less than Jesus Christ himself. Mm-hmm. And it is the most powerful, um, offensive weapon in the universe. And, and I think it's just been, it's had dead weight it's had a lot of chaff, and then those who are truly a part of the church, I think they've just been, I think they've just been rocked to sleep. And I think in this, what, what, what Jesus is doing in this pruning is it's getting rid of the chaff, 
but it's also rousing awake the sleeping giant that is his bride. The bride of Christ is a giant and she is formidable. We just need to wake her up and let her go to war. Yes, such good, such good imagery. I love it. Thank you so much for everything that you're doing. Thank you for just shedding some light on this huge uh, discussion around church. And it's never been more relevant. I know the church is always relevant, but it feels like, wow, this conversation has never been more timely for us to be having. And I hope that a lot of people will benefit from the clarity that you shared. Where can people connect with you online and find out more about your ministries? Yeah, rightresponseministries.com. And also, I think one of the easiest things is download our free app, or even better yet, just subscribe to our YouTube channel, Right Response Ministries YouTube, and you'll be able to follow all of our content. Uh, Haley, thank you so much. It was a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much for listening today. Don't forget to come find me uh, this week on Instagram at HaleyWilliams.Kindled and say hi. You can find all show notes for this episode and every other at KindledPodcast.com. You can leave a review in the podcast app, and I love to read those and hear from you guys. And if you want to join us in Patreon, you will get access to all future and past Firestarters episodes. Again, that's $10 a month at Patreon.com slash KindledPodcast. All right, guys, have an awesome week and I will see you next Monday. Okay, talk to you soon.